Hello, Falava. You're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, or Loingo, or Susana Suisuiki. Coming up. Pacific people live in households where our families have seven or more people. A new report on Pacifica communities hits close to home, literally, also. We're just here to provide some support. Wherever they need assistance, we're here to help. Caleb checks in with a medical team on the ground in Vanuatu and later on. With the increased number of soldiers, we are hoping that uh, there'll be a competition. Fiji looks to bring back boxing. Pediatrician says the soaring cost of housing in New Zealand hinders the well-being of Pacific children. Discussions at the Pacific Child Wellbeing Conference in Auckland this week revealed that many families have restored to using garages as rooms. Figures from the latest statistics show there's been little change in between 2019 and 2022, with one quarter of Pacific children still living in poverty. Fiona Funua caught up with Dr. Tiwila Percival, who spoke in depth about the housing crisis and the launch of a report at the conference. So, what, one of the things we've done is um, we've put out a report to Mighty Ola Moana 2023, and um, it basically has pulled together the, the research and the evidence to date, um, and also looked at some great policies that we have, things that have we've got pilot programs, things that are working. And basically, it's it's saying these are the challenges that we have for our children around health, poverty, housing. What is the way forward? And it's set out a plan. And the, the things we've, we've identified as being really important is um, affordable, quality housing. And beyond that, building houses that suit our large families, you know, um, 100,000 Pacific people live in households where our families have seven or more people. So two-bedroom houses are not adequate for us. We, we need to have houses where we can live in our families comfortably, um, including our multiple generations. You know, we often have parents, children and grandparents. So, so we're suggesting building big houses, whether it's Kiwi Build, Kainga Ora or private that's really important for our children's well-being. It's interesting how you mention um, housing being, it's, that seems to be the main problem. Mm. It kind of correlates with the housing crisis as a whole, um, yeah. doesn't it? Yes, yes. For, for children's well-being, housing is really critical. If you have poor housing or overcrowded homes, you get unwell children. You know, you get more pneumonia, rheumatic heart disease. Um, Children have don't have the space to be able to do their homework. Uh, housing is good for mental health. It's good for parents. So it's it's really it's really important. What what we're saying is in in our report, um, you need to insulate and do housing warming solutions for thirty thousand homes for our Pacific people, and in the next ten years we should see a commitment to build 5,000 big homes suitable for our multi-generational households. And we think that will make a significant difference to to our Pacific children. Yeah. I mean, one of the difficulties is, um, you, you know, the push now is to build lots and lots of little houses squash as many little houses onto the 
pieces of land. So, you know, you have one and two bedroom dwellings squashed onto a, a piece of land. And that that's not going to suit our families. A lot of people call with the increasing, the ever increasing costs of housing in Auckland, mm. especially. Yes, yes. People, a lot of people call it a housing crisis. Do you think that's an accurate description? And do you think that this problem of overcrowding, particularly among Pacifica, do you think that's a result of it? I think overcrowding has been an issue for many, many years, but it's getting worse because of the difficulty with affordability um, and the lack of houses which are big enough for our families. Um but at the moment we're in, because the cost of private rentals and mortgages is so high, particularly our people who are renting, um, it, it's really hard to, to I guess, gather wealth for your family. So we're forever in this poverty trap. You're just getting enough money to spend most of it on our rent with very little left over for anything else like um, you know, school trips or sending our kids to sports clubs, you know. So it is a bit of a crisis at the moment just because the cost of housing is just eating up so much of household incomes. And, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're if you're on $200,000 a year, but most of our families aren't. They're on low incomes. So this is a huge struggle for us. And I guess if we can do something about lifting household incomes, that's one thing. If we can also um, develop first home buyer products, which are going to support our low-income families, um, there's some there's some products out there now which people don't probably know about. So there's one that Kaingo Ora have, where they will partner with a low-income family to put down a deposit on a house, and then. Um, you also have to get a mortgage from a bank, but they'll help you get your deposit. And then you pay that off interest-free over the next 15 years. So that's a, you've got a, a little bit of money and the ability to pay off a mortgage on a low-cost house. You know, that's a pathway to home ownership, which I think a lot of our families don't know about. A team from the Pacifica Medical Association, or PACMAT, is providing assistance to Nivanuatu people as the country recovers from back-to-back cyclones. The team, who have just finished working in Hawke's Bay, will mainly help with mental health. Dr. Marianne Heather from PACMAT speaks to Caleb Fotheringham from Vanuatu. So we're here as part of the um, PACMAT team, which is basically the Pacifica Medical Association uh, medical assistance team. We've been asked by the Minister of Health from Vanuatu to our government to provide some assistance, basically to the communities that have been affected by Cyclone Judy and Cyclone Kevin in these last few weeks. So we're here as a primary care team, mental health team and psychosocial support to provide health and assistance to communities of Vanuatu and work alongside our local health colleagues as well to serve. So you've just gone from the east coast? Yes, so many of us were working down in the Hawke's Bay for Cyclone Gabriel and also too some of us were involved in the flooding. So we've come sort of just off that and into this. So it's, I guess it's continuation of work just to help our 
you know, our families in the Pacific because that's what we're here for, just to try and uh, lend a hand where they need it. Many of them are tired. They've been working constantly the last few weeks, so we're just here to provide some support. Wherever they need assistance, we're here to help. And what type of stuff do you see after a cyclone or some sort of devastating natural disaster? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the main effects that we'd see is the, you know, I guess the immediate or acute effects. And so many people that are involved in the cyclones, you know, maybe flooding, uh, maybe loss of homes, devastating losses, loss of lives sometimes. And so we come in and just help with those immediate assistance. The other aspect that we have is quite unique too, is we have um, a very strong mental health group that come in and do assessments pretty much on everybody. And we find that's probably the biggest problems that we see is the mental health support. You know, sometimes it's depression, sometimes it's post-traumatic. You know, people reliving, going through cyclone and devastation. So there's a lot of those things all mixed in. And so we work alongside each other to try and help support where we can. And we've got amazing mental health teams primary care team, psychosocial support, we've um, got amazing support so we can do our work together and, and also to work with the local um, health people. What can you do when people come to you and they might have acute stress because they've lost their home? What can you actually do in those situations? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot we can do. People sort of shy away from the stigma around mental health and things but you know I think a lot of times it's just the conversation, it's the talanoa, it's the empathising with them, it's supporting them, um, helping them and seeing where they are, meeting them at their needs so a lot of the times it's just kind of helping them through counselling, giving them some tools to help, like sometimes it might be breathing, sometimes it's sort of thinking of other things to kind of distract them from things but you know there's a lot of things that you can do and I think it's increasing the awareness of things can be done not only by a mental health team but also to you know anybody else around in the, in the team so it's you know it's providing that support and sometimes it's just listening and, and you know maybe giving them a hug or just showing that you care the revival of boxing in fiji is starting slowly but surely Fiji Boxing Commission Chairman Sabash Abana believes the challenges they navigated in the last three years has put the commission in good stead in leading the resurgence. They're hoping that the sport goes back to its golden days where Fiji churned out superboxers including Sakaraya Ve, former Commonwealth champion Ali Patse Korovo and former heavyweight Leweni Wanga who fought Muhammad Ali's sparring partner Jim Ellis before Ellis was declared world champion in 1967 by the World Boxing Association. Abana spoke with RNZ Pacific's Elias Atora on the revival. We came in in September 2019, and we've been working at it. And I think what we saw in the last program in Suva, which was last Saturday, 25th of March, uh, really shows that we have come a long way from when we started. So yes, uh, we have on board uh, three active promoters and a fourth application on the table. When we joined, there were only two promoters. Um, with the increased number of promoters, we are hoping that uh, there'll be healthy competition amongst them, so that uh, you know it leads to um, lifting of standards and, and um, a better value for money for for fight fans. Um, on the the administrative front, we have put in place uh, a whole system of uh, of management. The governance structure has been tightened and fine tuned. Uh, the financial management part of it has uh, has also been. Uh, straightened out, and, and it's now, we've got processes in place, processes that we can follow straight out, rules to be followed, and so on and so forth. So it's no longer, the ad hoc environment in which we entered is no longer that. It's now a very structured and well-managed 
well-governed sort of setup that we that is now um, uh, being used to to manage Fiji boxing. And so, basically, the aim has been to bring about predictability in in uh, our decision making, predictability in in how we respond to stakeholder concerns, predictability in how we function. And I believe. Um, um, we have reached that stage. Yeah, it's been interesting to to uh, to see how things have uh, have uh, come through so far. Uh, there have been some uh, boxing promotions that have been uh, hosted in the last uh, twelve months. How does uh, Fiji Boxing Commission uh, work uh, in regards to uh, you know getting uh, promotions approved and promotions done to make sure that um, that you achieve uh, probably the the biggest goal of trying to revive boxing in Fiji and making sure that uh, the standard uh, that is being followed. We noticed that there were some promoters who who were trying to uh, sabotage dates, promotional dates. They would uh, make a booking and then they would say, like when it, it's very close by, like it's, we are three weeks away from it, then they'd say, oh, uh, we are not ready to, to host on this date. And in the process, what they were doing is they were, uh, preempting other promoters from taking that date. And, you know, in Fiji, there are certain dates that are more attractive than others because it coincides with some programs, some festivals, and so on and so forth. And so uh, what we did is we said, okay, so if you if you want to lock in a date, you pay a fee, right? So they, they are now paying a fee to lock in a date. So if they drop that date, they forfeit that fee. That's one thing that we have done. Number two, um, we have tried our best to, to make sure that... Um, Two promotions are not held too close together in terms of date. We also have tried to make sure that if two promotions are held together or close together in terms of date, then they are in geographically different areas. Like, for example, if one is in Nandi, we can have one within a week or two weeks in Suva that we can accommodate. Um, thirdly, we've had close discussions with promoters. We've prepared a checklist on what they should do. And, and, and so, that, you know, like if they want to come to us, they just first thing they have to do is just look at the checklist. What's coming up next? What do we have to do next? Um, the next thing that we've done is we've, um, in many ways, we've had to force them to communicate with us um, via email first. If we don't respond within 24 hours, then only take up the phone. They were in the habit of calling us, you know, um, before we had time to go through what their request was. Um, on on um, uh, working with with um, with boxing trainers and 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 you know when and trying to manage boxers, uh, how does the commission uh, manage that? Thank you for that question. That's one area where we haven't really been able to do much. We have spoken to the trainers. We we keep talking to them about boxer fitness and all the rest of it, but we haven't been able to go into it in a big way because for the past three years, despite our allocation being thirty thousand per year. We only received $30,000 for three years. So instead of 90, we had to work with 30. And that meant that we were extremely tight and we couldn't make any, any trips or any travels or even any assistance for, for clubs. Eh? Uh, we have been struggling even to call uh, trainer meetings, like separate trainer meetings, separate uh, uh, meetings with promoters. All this has been done in an ad hoc manner by me, you know, by visiting them and talking to them either by phone or when we meet at uh, boxing programs, we talk and discuss things. So that's one part where we need to tighten up. Now, the reason why uh, we had problems with finances is when we, we took over in uh, September 2019, we couldn't change the signatories to the, to the bank account because there was no formal handover. So this, this thing persisted for one whole year until uh, September 2020 when we finally managed to get the bank to relax those requirements and to simply allow us to, uh, to become the new signatories, which they agreed to do, and they, they were very nice and uh, uh, gracious in that regard. So, so in September 2020, we were able to sign, and then we got the funds for 2020, 
and that was the $30,000 that we worked with. But when we came to the end of 2021, we were told that uh, we needed audited accounts rather than acquittals. And so the whole requirement had changed. And so for the $30,000 that we used, we were asked to, to, uh, to instead of acquittals, we were asked to provide uh, audited accounts. And so our audited account, we, we hired an auditor. Despite the shortage of funds, we managed to hire an auditor. And then we got the st- this thing, and it's gone to the auditor, the auditor general's office. So those accounts are there, the audited accounts are there, and they're being looked at, but they don't have enough uh, enough uh, personnel there, manpower. So what they're doing is they have delayed it. It's, uh, they've given us July this year as the date when they'll sort it out. Now, in the meantime, I'm trying to see if uh, the Minister of Youth and Sports will allow us access to new funds on the, on the assurance of the auditor general's office that those accounts are there with them. That's Pacific Ways for today. To listen back, head over to rndi.com slash programs or you can find us on Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. I'd like to take this moment to farewell our reporter Jan Kohut, who leads our RND Pacific Ainga to head across the Tasman Sea. You'll be missed. From myself and the team that made this episode a great one yet, so far so far.